go. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. And uh, I am on a short time frame, so I want to get right to it. I got a lot to share with you this morning, as I usually always do. I haven't preached in five months, so get ready. Five months worth, built up right here. It's coming for you. I'm joking. Um, I am so glad to be, be uh, preaching the beginning of this series. We're talking about this is Jesus, and we're going to look at, uh, there, there are, I don't know if you know this, in the book of John, there's seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. All throughout scripture, you see people making statements about who Jesus is, but in John, Jesus in the first 11 chapters makes seven statements about himself, and he, he starts them all off with, I am, and then he fills in the blank, I am the bread of life, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, which we'll be talking about that one on Easter, really excited about that one. He says, I am the light of the world, I am, uh, there's a lot, there's seven of them, I encourage you to go look through them. We're going to talk about three of them over the next three weeks, so I encourage you to be here for each one. Pastor Zach's actually doing I am the bread of life. Uh, in Eunice. So this weekend we got two different messages going on. So you can jump on the podcast and listen to two totally different ones, which is, which is great. But uh, he's starting off with an I am. How many know I am is a big statement? Anything that follows I am is pretty big. We use I am to, to begin sentences. I am hungry. How many would say I'm, I am hungry? <laughs> All right. If you, if you respond to me, I preach faster. If you don't, I feel like you're not getting it, so I have to keep preaching. <laughs> All right. So, I am hungry, I'm going to Walmart, I'm leaving, don't. I am describes who we are a lot of times, it describes I'm a good person, I'm sexy, I, I look good. Look at somebody next to you go, no, let's not do that, okay. Um, I am shares how we feel, I'm so happy. I'm so depressed. I don't know. It de- we can use that statement to describe how we feel. I am also is, can be beginning of a confession. I am addicted. I am sorry. I had to use that one yesterday. I am can also be uh, the beginning of an announcement. I am pregnant. <laughs> N- not us. Maybe you. How many pregnant ladies we got in the house this morning? We got a lot. We got some pregnant. Come on. I'm ah, excited. Awesome. Don't, don't come here unless you like to get pregnant. Uh, it's the water. Don't drink it. Uh, I am getting married. Uh, that's a good announcement. Okay, th- so there's a lot of things that I am begins. And today we're looking at John chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to throw it on the screen. It's in your notes, so you have no excuse. You can follow along with a lot of these verses. But let's throw it up on the screen and find out what we're talking about today. It says, Jesus spoke to them and he said, I am, what is it? Light of the world, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How many know we live in a dark world? really dark world. We'll talk a little bit more about this in just a minute, but we live in a dark, dark world, and this is a great statement that Jesus makes, that I am the light of the world. I want to I read with you uh, in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there. It's in your notes, but 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, because all throughout Scripture, you're going to find out that, that throughout the Bible, you see that God's, God is referred to as a light, and, and the enemy, the darkness, is, is referred to as darkness, Satan and, and darkness. And so you're going to see kind of this co- contrast in between Scriptures about light and darkness and how they are at odds with one another. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Look at what it says. In their case, the God of this world, who is, who is what? Who's that? 
Satan. Satan is the god of this world. So in the, in the case of Satan, he has, what has he done? He's, what is it? He's blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing what? The light. The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What this verse is saying is that we have an enemy who has blinded people to not see Jesus. So can I tell you what my prayer is today and what our prayer is for this entire series is that you will see Jesus. That you'll see Jesus, you'll fall in love with Jesus, and you're going to find out today that Jesus is the light of the world, and that is great news for you. But we have an enemy who has come in from the very beginning of Genesis, and we see the fall. And when the fall happened, guess what? The enemy came in, and guess what he did? He turned off the lights. Satan came in this world and turned off the lights. Satan works best in darkness. That's where he resides. That's where he likes to be. He likes to be in dark places. And so we find out that Jesus comes. He's the opposite of that. Jesus comes in the world. He is the, the light of the world. So let me give you some good news today. Let's read John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus makes this declaration. This is red letter stuff right here. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in what? May not remain in darkness. So the good news that you have today is that Jesus came to this world as light. I love the fact that Jesus did not wait for the darkness to try to work itself out. Jesus, the light of the world, came to the world. He came to you and me. He didn't wait for you to come to him. He came to you, and he came as light. And that is good news because this verse says that God's greatest desire is that you would go from darkness to light. My desire for all of us in here and for many of you in here that today you, will not walk, you, will, you walked in this place in darkness and you will walk out of here in light. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for many of you. And, and, and that's not only just spiritual and, and, and means of salvation. Some of you have walked in here blinded by the enemy in darkness in areas of your life. And I believe that the light of Christ is going to shine in those areas and you're going to walk out free too. That is our belief and that is our prayer today is that that's going to happen. Let me give you one other verse. And, this is, and then we're going to get right into some points here. <clears throat> but this is John chapter 1 verse 5. The light. Who is the light? Jesus. Who is the light? Okay, Jesus. So let's, let's replace that. Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That is a good promise right there. Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So Satan comes in this world, he turns off the dark, or he turns off the light. Jesus comes in this world, and he turns off the dark. That's great news. Jesus came to the world to turn off the dark. He came in to bring light into this world, to light into your world. And this says that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. How many of you know when you turn lights on, the, the, the light and darkness don't have a battle? Y'all understand that, right? You turn lights on, darkness got to go, right? There is no battle. There's no battle whatsoever. The light shines and darkness has to flee. Where light shines, darkness gets, it, it evades darkness. And when it shines, darkness has to go. That's why it says darkness can never overcome it. So that means, well, we'll get to that. That's some really good news. You'll see in just a little bit. So let's talk about the light of the world overcomes. As we live in a dark world, there's a lot of things that we face that are dark areas of our own lives. And so the light of the world overcomes, and I'm just going to list three of them. There's so many more. But we only got time really for three. So I'm going to talk to you about what I feel is really the three main dark areas that we face in our own lives. And we'll try to make this real practical and really help you. Light of the world overcomes, number one, it overcomes the darkness of fear with peace. 
Jesus, who is the light of the world, overcomes the, the darkness of fear with peace. How many know you cannot watch the news without fear trying to jump all over you? You can't watch ABC or Fox or NBC or get on an app and look at the news and, and without they're seeing just stuff that is just absolutely fearful and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and, and murders and rapes and children dying and, and just the stuff that you see going on around the world. And, and fear wants to grip your heart. Fear wants to grip your heart. And it probably has in many areas as it has in mine and other areas. And, and you have to watch what you allow into your life because of what this is. I mean, how many of you have talked to somebody who doesn't live in Jennings and you tell them that you live in Jennings? How many of you are like, I don't even want to tell people I live in Jennings. I don't just tell people I live in Iota, okay? I don't live. Because when you tell people you live in Jennings, what is Jennings now known for? A lot of murders, right? I mean, the only time I see Jennings in KPLC or KATC News now is not good, right? We should just stay in our houses, according to, and I'm going to tell you, this is no lie. There are people that live in this city that do not get out of their house because of that. They've been paralyzed by fear. I'm telling you. But here's the great news of the gospel, that Jesus loves Jennings so much that he sends our Savior's church right here in the middle of the darkest place to be a light. Amen? Be a light. And Lake Arthur and Iota and Kinder and all the surrounding cities and Welsh and, and now Crowley. These are places where we're going to begin to shine a beacon of light, of hope. Not that we are the light, but he is the light. We'll see that in just a minute, but... The, we got to see that the darkness of fear is overcome by the light of the world, and he comes and he brings peace. My, my wife and I have been uh, having a really hard time these past couple of weeks, and I'll tell you why. As many of you know, we have a son who has been given a one-year diagnosis. Um, June will be one year, so we're going past that, so just let everybody know. Um, but but I, can I be honest with you? Fear creeps up on you. It does. When you have a son that has a rough day, creeps on you, he's vomiting everywhere, and doctors are saying, he's just okay, that, that creeps up on you. And in the past three weeks, we have watched three to four children that have either had PH or just young children pass away. Lindsay just attended a funeral this past week of a 14-month-old that passed away in their sleep. And uh, we've had to work through, just even this week, the fear that wants to jump up on you. As, there's nothing worse than burying a, a, a child. There's nothing worse than that. And there's a fear. We, we watched a kid that had pH for years, and he just passed away in, uh, in March. And so there's a fear that wants to jump on you because you, you begin to think, that could be mine, and that, that could be, and you know what I'm saying? It just comes. It comes real quick. But I'm reminded real quickly that Jesus comes and he brings peace. And Philippians 4 says that, that that peace will guard your heart and guard your minds. And the light of the world is peace. It's peace for, for you and for me. And I want to I show you this verse. Look in Psalms chapter 27, verse 1. It says this, the Lord is my what? The Lord is my light. I want you to get that real quick, real quick, because here's, here's the big goal that I have today. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. My prayer is that Jesus will become the light of your world. That's my prayer. Because we can know Jesus has the light of the world, and it's abstract. But what, ha what happens when he becomes the light of your world? Then it's personal. And this verse says, Jesus is my light and my salvation. And what's the rest of the promise of that? Whom shall I fear? 
If he's my light, if he's my salvation, what do I got to be afraid of? If, if he rules and he is in control of everything, what do I need to be afraid of? Let me tell you what peace is. We, we have a misconception of peace. Most of us think, man, I just want peace. And when we say we want peace, what we mean is we want all the adversity, all the trials, all the suffering to leave. That's what we want. You don't want peace. You want comfort. You want comfort. Okay, peace is not comfort. Peace is there is a calmness of heart and soul in the midst of trials and suffering. The peace of God is, is not that the trial is over. The peace of God is that you can get through the trial in the midst of the trial. So the peace of God is the fact that you and I have a living power that comes into our life that enables us to face the reality that we have a son that has a diagnosis that says he's going to die in June. But the peace of God says you can face that because there's a living power that lives inside of you. And not only can you walk through it, but you can go over it. So I don't know what you're walking through that, that wants to jump fear on you. And, and a lot of times it's finances. Oh, well, we're freaking out over finances. You're freaking out over relationships. You're freaking out over marriages, your job. It's unstable. There's things that are unstable. And fear wants to jump off on you. And the darkness of fear wants to, wants to come all over you like a blanket. But know that Jesus is the light of the world. And where Jesus is, there's peace. And where peace is, you can face anything. Amen? So the darkness of fear is overcome with Peace. In the midst of doom and gloom, the light of Jesus shines brightly. Number two, the light of the world overcomes the darkness of despair with hope. The darkness of despair with hope. Despair is literally hopelessness. It's an unending emptiness. Our, our world faces this a lot. Do you know that suicide kills more people than car crashes? 37,000 people die a year from committing suicide. 37,000. That's more than car crashes. So here's the question. Why are so many people killing themselves? I mean, we live in the greatest nation in the world. Why are people killing themselves? Because they're searching for more and they're not finding it. They're coming up short. They're coming up short. Why are people so sad? Why are people so much living in despair? Because they have nothing to live for. And when you have nothing to live for, you might as well just take it all. But the truth is, if Jesus is the light of the world... And he set eternity in our hearts. We have something to live for. L let me give you an analogy. There was two men that were put into prison. One man, as he was put into prison, was told, your wife and your three children were killed. And he went and got put in prison. The other man was put into prison, and they said, your wife and your children are still alive, and they're actually waiting on you, and he's put into prison. The wife who's told, was told that his children were dead and his wife was dead, in one year... He shriveled up and died. The man who found out that his wife and kids were waiting on him was able to endure the worst of the prison, stayed strong, and 10 years later walked out and was able to be with his family. Now, here's the question. Why? Why? Hope. There's a future hope. Here's the deal. Both of them faced the same realities and the same present, but both of them had two perspectives on the future. One had hopelessness and one had hope. And because one had hope, he was able to endure what he went through for the hope. Are y'all with me? And when, I, when Madeline sang the song of the Holy Spirit, it says we have a living hope. See, because here's the, here's the truth. <clears throat> People are searching for something, and that something is a someone, and that someone is Jesus. 
People are searching. They're searching for something. They don't realize that that something is not a something, it's a someone. And when they realize that that someone is a Jesus, then they find a living hope. And then you have something to live for. There's another story, the story of the slaves back in, back in the 18, 1900s when there was slavery that was going on rampant all throughout our nation. They, they, if you know anything about how the slaves worked, when they would gather together at night, they would sing hymns. They actually would sing these spirituals. And a lot of these spirituals were actually songs of what it would like to be free one day. It was spirituals of of what it would like to be in heaven one day. Now the question is, why would they sing that all the time? They had a guy that actually asked them, why would you sing this all the time? He said, you know what, the truth is is there's nothing beyond this. And they said, no, listen, listen, the reason we sing this is because we have a greater hope. And because we have a greater hope, we're able to go through what we're going through right now because we have a greater hope of what is to come. There's hope there. Because here's the truth. If at the end of this life, it's over, all your happiness is right now. This is all you get. So the 14-month-old that just died this last week, how miserable is that for that family and for that child? How miserable is that? If, if this is all that there is, this is it, then everything that we have, all of our happiness is in, what, 80 years Maybe. Six, seven, we don't know. But we have a living hope who is the light of the world. And the Bible says that he is our hope, that he is an anchor to our, to our soul. See, because let me ask you this. Do you believe that after you die that this is the end, that this is all the happiness that you will experience? Or do you believe that there will one day be a new heaven and a new earth and one day you will have future endless joy, that one day you will have a new body and a new creation? Do you believe that? And if you believe that, hey, listen, here's the deal though. If you believe in a, in a future like that, it helps you face your present. Are y'all with me? If you believe that there is a day when you will get a new body and you will have endless joy, then depending on which one you believe, you're going to handle suffering and darkness differently. You're going to handle a cancer diagnosis differently with a living hope than with no hope. You will handle it differently. You will handle losing a job differently with living hope than with no hope. Some of you have no hope. And that's why the smallest of storms rock you to the core. Because you don't have a greater hope. And a greater hope that's a living hope. Jesus is our living hope. Let me show you how this is working even as we get ready for Easter. In two weeks we will have Easter. Think about the darkest day that the disciples and the followers of Jesus ever faced. You know what day that was? It wasn't Friday. You know what it was? Saturday. Saturday. Here's the truth. They've been following Jesus for three years, and Jesus constantly was telling them, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. I'll raise it up in three days. I, I, I am the life. I am the Messiah. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the... He's, he's, he's declaring all of this to his disciples and all those that are following him. Friday, he's killed. He's put into a tomb. The most depressing day that they ever had to battle anxiety and fear and worry was Saturday. They had a promise that he would rise again, but it hadn't happened yet. It wasn't Sunday yet. It was still Saturday. And on Saturday, you don't know. What if he's wrong? What if this isn't really what it is? What does that mean? We've seen people already die because of following this man. What is that going to look like for me? What if everything that he said is not true? That all happens on Saturday. And can I tell you what? We are 
as a people living in a Saturday. Do you understand? Because Jesus has promised in his word that one day we'll have a new heaven and a new earth, that one day he will return and he will take us up with him, and that one day we will live with him for all of eternity. But, but has that happened yet? Has that happened yet? No. So that's Sunday. Guess where you're living right now? Saturday. Saturday. So the question is, where's our hope? Where's our hope? Because if you don't have any hope for a Sunday, then you might as well take your life on Saturday. Because there's no hope. But we have a living hope. Let me, let me show you a verse. Romans 15, verse 13. Come on, this is a prayer that we have for you. May the God of hope, the God of hope fill you with, what is it? All joy, all peace in believing him. So that by the power of the what? We just welcome this, this one in. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound in hope. That's why Paul and, and, and you see so many of the disciples throughout the New Testament go through hard, 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 hard days. Shipwrecked and beaten and tortured and killed. That's why whenever, that was the craziest thing. When you go and you read about the martyrs in the scriptures, when people were killed, it actually fueled the people of God to go more. Why is that? Because there's a living hope that these people never saw darkness. Because when they left this earth, they immediately went to light. You never saw darkness. It was a shadow of death, but they never saw death. Because if Jesus rose from the grave, he says, we will never taste death. We will be immediately in the presence of Jesus. And so therefore, death can't even scare us. Because we'll never face death. We'll be with Jesus immediately. Are y'all with me? So we go from light to light. There's never a dark moment. Never a dark moment. So we have, we have hope. Number three, the light of the world. What does it do? It overcomes the darkness of guilt. It overcomes the darkness of guilt with grace. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us. Um, we, we went to Disney World a couple months back. Uh, our family loves Disney World. And we love going. And one of the things we like doing is because most of the rides there, Joel can, can ride. But we went to um, the Animal Kingdom place, and there was this one ride, and uh, it's called Expedition Everest. It's a crazy ride. Have you ever been on it? It's, it's crazy. And, uh, and, and how many you know when you go up to the ride, there is a sign there that has usually a man or, or somebody, and it's like this, and it goes, you must be this tall to ride the ride. You know what I mean? So usually all my boys will kind of go up to it, and Judah... Literally, it was like right here, and Judah was like here. And Judah loves roller coasters. Saya, not so much. Um, so Saya's up here. I'm like, Saya, come on. He's like, mm-mm. So I was like, Judah, come on. He's like, okay. And so he's like right here. So I was like, just do, like when you, <laughs> when you get up there, just kind of do a little, little bump. And, and sure, it was like some teenage guy by the gate. And so he went up there, and he's like, you, go over here. So he went to the sign. It's right here. And he goes, and I was like, and so he goes, and he was like, he's like, go on. And so he went, and uh, oh, I should have brought the picture. Oh, it was awesome. He, I think he peed his pants. Um, it was, whoo, was it scary, Judah? <laughs> no? Oh, okay, all right. No, it wasn't. It went backwards and crazy, and it was awesome. Uh, anyways, the reason I bring that up is because 
what we read in Scripture is, is Jesus says, you must be this tall to enter heaven. Here's the problem. We're all too short. We're all too short. Nobody gets to ride the rides. Jesus does. Nobody else does. We're too short. The Bible says that all have sinned, all have fallen. You're going you're gonna to read that verse totally different now. All have fallen short of the glory of God. We're too short to get on the ride, which means we're too short to get into heaven. On your own, you're too short. You fall short. You, you, and you can, a lot of you, <laughs> you're trying. Come to church and you give money and you think, <laughs> you come and you serve, you show up to church and you think that in doing that, you're fooling anybody, but you're still way too short. You're way too short. The Bible says anything that you have done that has been sinned, that's, that's, that's enough. And some of you go, well, I'm a good person. Well, the truth is when you go and you sit before a judge and you've done one bad thing, you don't get to go to the judge and go, hey, I've, I've been a good person most of my life. He's like, well, you killed somebody. Well, I've been a good person like all the rest of the time. You still killed somebody. So when you go and you stand before the judge, which we're going to go and stand before our judge for what we've done, he's going to go, well, you still sinned. Well, I've done a lot of great things. You don't get to yell at the judge for doing great things. He doesn't care. You still committed a crime. Y'all with me? And so you're still too short, and you don't get in. That's guilt. The story, actually, if you go and you read in John chapter 8, before Jesus makes, let's go look. Let's just go look real quick. John chapter 8, uh, at, in, in the story that leads right up, right before this, is the story of the woman caught in adultery. That's the story that leads up to, I am the light of the world. The story of the woman caught in adultery, if you know the story, Jesus is out preaching. He's preaching in the synagogues. There's a lot of people around him. He's preaching. And then all of a sudden, the Pharisees come dragging this woman into where he is preaching, and they throw him down in front of Jesus. And they said, we caught this woman in the act. Now, let me ask you one quick question. Who is more perverted, the one doing the act or the one watching them doing the act? I mean, the Pharisees that were watching or the lady that was doing, I think they're both wrong. Um, but anyways, the guys throw them down there and go, according to the law, she should be stoned. And they got a pocket full of rocks ready to go. And Jesus, ignoring everything that they're saying, if you, go, you can go read the story, bends down and starts writing things in the sand. Most scholars believe that he started writing down the sins of the other people that were in the crowd. We don't know that for sure, but... All we know is that after he does that, from the oldest men to the youngest, they stop dropping rocks and they walk away. And Jesus goes over to the woman who, let me ask you this, was she guilty? Was what she did sin? Absolutely. There was in no way Jesus was saying that what she did was not sin. It was sin. He was not condoning adultery. He was not condoning fornication. He was not condoning any of that. It's true. She should have been stoned. But he was also wanting to point out their sin too, real quickly. And I want to read this verse, and I, I think I have it in your notes. It's um, chapter 8, verse 10. And so Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, I mean, imagine, this is the most, without any shadow of a doubt, this is the most darkest, shame-filled, hurting moment in this woman's life. She's dragged out of, in the act with, another man. No clothes, I mean, you don't have time to put your clothes on. I mean, she maybe grabbed a bed sheet or something. She's sitting before Jesus 
at his feet. And all you can imagine is she's just covering, because he's asking, he asked her, where are they? Which means she's not looking around. She's, she's full of guilt and shame. And Jesus says, where are they at? And so she looks up. And look what else he says. No one's condemned you. She said, or has anyone, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin no more. Go from now on, sin no more. There's a story, uh, I don't know if y'all saw this, this is a true story, I actually, I actually read it in an article a couple months ago. There was a guy who got pulled over by a police officer, I think it was in Plano actually, got pulled over for a police officer for his registration was expired. The police officer pulled him over and asked the man, did you know your registration was expired? The guy said, yes I did. He said, well why didn't you have it fixed? The guy said, because I had to make a choice. It was between do I change out the registration that's expired or do I feed my family? And I chose feed my family. And the doctor said, uh, the doctor, the uh, police officer said, well, it's still expired and you still have to get a ticket. Police officer goes back to his car, gets all the information, writes him a ticket, puts it in an envelope and gives it to the man. The man, devastated, because now he's still trying to figure out ways to pay for his family's food, also now has to pay for a $100 ticket. And he opens up the envelope. How many of you heard this story? This is a true story. Opens up the envelope. Inside of the envelope is the ticket and a $100 bill on top of it. This is a true story. A $100 bill on top of it to pay for the ticket. That is the gospel. Here's the gospel. The gospel is that you and I are sinners who fall short. You and I deserve a ticket deserve a lot more than a ticket. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. The gospel is the good news is that not only did Jesus come and give his life as a ransom for you, not only did he pay, not only did he say that, you know what, this is a ticket and it's got to be paid for, not only did he issue the ticket, Jesus also paid for it. Jesus declared that you're guilty and that you're innocent at the same time by what he did on the cross. He said that this deserves to be paid for, but I'm not going to make you pay for it. I'm going to make my son pay for it. Jesus pays for it. He issues the ticket to us. You're guilty. And then says, but I love you too much. And I'm going to go and I'm actually going to pay for that too. That's guilt. And then that's grace. That's what that is. Y'all with me? That's guilt. And then that's grace. Come on. <clears throat> so he was nailed to the cross on your behalf. He gave the ticket, but he also paid for it at the same time, and that's good news. Now, let's, talk, let's make this real practical, and we'll finish this out. I want to talk about three ways to turn off the dark in our own hearts. Because when we talk about darkness, a lot of times we talk about the world's dark. It's a lot of darkness around here. It's, it's, you know, it's bad times. And, and I'll just tell you right now, it's going to get worse. I'm sorry to bring the bearer of bad news. It will get worse. The Bible talks about it. It's going to get worse. Um, but uh, I want to talk specifically about how do we turn off the dark in our own hearts. Because how many know there's darkness in you that wants to reside? There's darkness of your own heart. So let's get personal here. Let's talk about how does the light of, of the world, Jesus, deal with our own personal darkness in our own hearts? Three ways to turn off the dark in our own hearts. Number one, let's just come to the light. Come to the light. John chapter 3 verse 19 it says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. We've talked about that. Jesus has come into the world. But here's the deal. People love the darkness rather than the light 
because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And what does he not do? Read, read it. You got it. He does not come to the light, lest his, works, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, what does he do? Comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Listen, nothing healthy grows in the dark. I'll say it again. Nothing healthy grows in the dark. Mold, fungus, moth, these are things that thrive in the dark. They're things that thrive in the dark. And the truth is, is that, that if there's any activity or habit or media or websites or relationships that you entertain, that you would be embarrassed if your children or your wife or your friends or your pastor ever found out, guess what that is? Fungus. And it grows in the dark. And here's the thing about fungus. It starts out small, and it looks like it can be contained, but it doesn't stay that way. It grows, and it spreads, and it poisons you and everybody else around you. So the things that are in our hearts, the darkness of, of lust, and the darkness of pride, and the darkness of addictions, and the darkness of the things that we're wrestling through in our own hearts, it starts out small, but if you don't take care of it, it spreads to the rest of the body, pollutes the rest of the body. And this says that where those dark areas are that are not exposed to light, it will kill you. And so the way that we deal with that, the first and foremost way we deal with those areas of our hearts is we come to the light. Another way you can put it is you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of what? Of darkness. But instead, expose them. Expose them. Mold and fungus and moss, it can grow in the dark, but it can't grow in the light. And we have got to learn. The Bible says this in Psalms 119. It says, the word of God is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. You have to take the word of God, the light of the word of God, and shine it in the darkest areas of your heart. The reason we get into the Word, the reason we challenge you to get into the Word, the reason we did a devotional for 35 days during Reach, the reason we're doing these things is because we want the truth of God's Word to continually penetrate your heart. Because as it does that, it will begin to shine in all areas of the house, all areas of your life. You'll begin to see these dark areas as, as you begin to pour into the Word of God because the Word of God is a light and it shines, and wherever it shines, it exposes darkness. And one of the ways that we expose our sin is, is by confession. You go and you continue to read in 1 John 1. It talks about, you know, to confess your sins one to another. That God is faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. James talks about confession to other people. So we need to ask forgiveness by confessing our sins to God, but we need to get healing from our sins by confessing our sins to others. That's why we talk about getting in part of life groups and being a part of relationships with other people. I'll be honest with you. Some of you don't want to get into a life group because you're afraid that people will expose your darkness. And some of you run from getting involved in relationships because other people have exposed your darkness. And you don't like that because, uh, like this verse, you love darkness. The Bible says that if there is darkness in you, then you have nothing of him. And so we want to quickly shine the light of Christ on the darkest areas of our lives. Because it's, it's okay to have dark moments, but you don't want to live in darkness. Are y'all with me? There's a difference. Because some of you in here are like, oh man, I struggle with some stuff. That's okay. Jesus still loves you and you're still saved. But to have moments of darkness is all right. But to live in continual darkness 
you are not. You don't love Jesus. You don't. You love darkness. And so we have to come to a place where we come to Jesus with this. And we let him expose this. Areas of our hearts so that the light of Christ can shine in those areas. So we come to the light. Number two, we walk in the light. 1 John 1, 5, 7 says, this is the message that we have heard from him. So here's the message that Jesus proclaims. You ready? He's proclaiming it to you. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if we, notice it says, if we. It is conditional. God will not make you do this. You will have to do this. You will have to participate with what God is doing. If we walk in the light, as he's in the light, I feel like a DC Talk song's coming on. Um, <clears throat> that's for all of our old school Christian people. <laughs> I want to be. Okay, anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and look what happens. We just did this with communion. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's good news. His light can illuminate our darkness. His grace can forgive your sins, and his presence can heal your shame. I'll say that again because some of you are writing down. His light can illuminate our darkness. His grace can forgive our sins. And his presence can heal our shame. And some of you walk in here with guilt and shame, even from this, own, this week. And you wonder how God can love you, how God can forgive you. He did it for the woman with adultery, and he did it with, I, I, I love reading the Bible because it's filled with a bunch of people who were jacked up and messed up. And the gospel was good news for them, and it's good news for you and me. That he is the light of the world. And he comes and he exposes those areas of darkness, but we have to work with him. We have to let him. We have to walk with him. Thankfully, here's, let me, let me tell you about this. If you are battling a, dar a darkness of addictions, a darkness of lust, a darkness of anger, a darkness of whatever, you, know, you fill in your darkness, whatever you're facing, let me tell you this, you don't defeat it. Can I tell you that? Jesus doesn't say, let's try to manage the sin, let's try to work it out. Jesus says, I've come and I've defeated it. The sin that you struggle with is not yours to bear. It's his that has already been born. And the gospel is that night you try harder, but that it's already been done. And we have to come. That's why we come to Jesus and go, Jesus, you've already paid for this. Thank you for what you've done. By your Holy Spirit, help me to live a victorious lifestyle over this. Because grace is not forgive, just forgiveness of sin. Grace is also the power to live in victory over sin. And so we come to him and we walk in his power. And his might, his light illuminates our darkness. And the last one is this. So we come to the light. He's, he's exposed these areas of our lives. We walk in the light now, walking in forgiveness and, and thanking God daily for what he's done in our lives. And the last one is this. And this is your part. We shine in the light. Let's read this together. Matthew chapter 4, verse 14 and 16. And uh, we'll get the worship team up here for this. Chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Let's read this declaration together. You are the... What does it say? You are the light of the world. Okay, so here we go. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Here we go. Matthew chapter 4 now. You are the light of the world. 
Y'all hear it with me? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and they put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't want to only be the light of the world. He wants to be the light of your world. And when he's the light of your world, you're the light of the world. Because if Jesus is light and Jesus lives in you, then the light lives in you, which means you are now the light. Y'all see the progression here. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus now lives in you. Now because Jesus lives in you, the same light that was in Jesus is now in you. And now you are the light of the world. I want you to imagine a big old torch, huge torch. Jesus is that. And we are little candles that come to that torch. As we come to Jesus, he lights our candles. And then we go as a commission from Jesus now that are saved and redeemed and new in Christ to go back into the world that is full of darkness and begin to let this light shine. And this light that's shining is you. It's Jesus through you. You're not that awesome, but he is. He is. And so guess what? You get to go into your workplace and shine. You get to go into your family and shine. But I promise you, the problem we deal with as Christians is we like to hide the light. We like to put it under the bushel because we don't want anybody to say anything. or We don't want people to get offended at us. So we don't talk about Jesus, and we're real sensitive about calling people to repentance and to new life in him. And we watch our family go through addictions, and we don't say anything. That's not being a light. Being a light is not only saying something, but it's walking with someone through it. It's loving them through it. We are the light of Christ. We are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And there is pressure from all areas for darkness to hide your light. You know we live in a dark age. And from politics to schools to, to relationships, there's pressure everywhere to hide. But Jesus has commissioned you and me to shine. I don't want to bust out the song here, but this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You might just need to be singing that this week. You need to sing that this week, I'm telling you. Some of you complain about your job on Facebook. You shouldn't complain about it. You should walk in there and know that God's given you a, a place that's really dark because you're the light. And your darkness does nothing for that darkness other than make it more dark. So why don't you shine, shut up, and shine. Let's shut up and shine. And when we shut up and shine, people will see a difference in the way that we work, in the way that we live. If you work offshore, guess what? Dark place, shine. You work in some places that are just real shady, shine. You go to your family and they're weird, shine. It's my commission to you to shine. But let me tell you this. Here's how this works. You don't shine until you come to Jesus. You come to the light, you walk in the light, and you shine the light. You don't come to Jesus, you don't got no light, you don't shine. So the importance of us coming to Jesus on a daily basis before him is, God, I'm going into a really crazy, dark place. Would you light me up? Would you light me up? God, I want to walk into this place. I want to walk into this business venture. I want to walk into my family. I want to walk into this. Listen, in the words of Rihanna, shine bright like a diamond. I will not sing that one. <laughs> 
where does this stuff come from? I don't know. Let me, let me read one last verse. And I promise I'm ending. Pastor Bubba can come up here. Let's throw this up. 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. Hey, let's bow our heads all across this room. Father, we love you. Thank you for your words. God, thank you that you are light. God, we thank you that your light overcomes darkness. There's no battle. There's no battle. Your light is bright, and your light overcomes the darkness of this world and the darkness of our own worlds. But God, we pray today, Lord, that you would not only be the light of this world, but that you would be the light of our world. And right now, come on, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, man, we, I, God, there's people in here that you're wanting them to come, to step over from the, a world of darkness to the world of light today. And there's some of you here today, you have been walking and your world has been dark, dark, dark. No hope, full of fear, full of guilt and shame. And I want to tell you today, Jesus came, he paid for that. You don't have to walk out of here the same. You can walk out of here free because of what Jesus did on the cross. And if that's you in this place, you go, I don't, I came in in darkness, but I want to leave in light. If that's you all across this room, will you just throw your hands up? I just want to see it. Come on. Yes. Yes. Awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six. Come on. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Praise God. 16. I see you. 17. Come on. 18. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Father, I pray over each person in this room right now. God, I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk in darkness. You've already done that for us. Lord, you invaded this dark world with your light. Lord, and you lived a perfect life in our behalf. God, you've declared us as guilty before you that we are too short to enter the kingdom. There's nothing we can do in our own merit to get into heaven. There's nothing we can do to make right relationships with the Father. But you can, and you did. And so, Father, today we declare, God, forgiveness over each person in this room. Would you just say this just right there where you are? Say, Father, I'm sorry. Come on, that's another I am. I am sorry. I repent. I return, I, I turn from a, a world of darkness to the world of light. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on that cross. Thank you, Jesus, for rising again and defeating death, hell, and the grave. Thank you for new life in Jesus. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to live in the light, to walk in the light, and to shine my light for you in Jesus' name. Amen.